Thank you for listening to this sermon from Arapahoe Road Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the teaching of Dr. David Rogers, lead pastor of Arapahoe Road. For more information about our church and its ministries, please visit arapahoeroad.org. And now, here's Pastor David Rogers. What is prayer? Stale tradition? Ritual? A good luck charm? Part of some religious checklist? Done to appease a higher being so we can get what we want? Or at least avoid the lightning bolt? Prayer has been redefined and twisted and confused. But at its essence, prayer is simply talking to God. The God who spoke the universe into creation, who gives us life and breath, who holds all things together. This God wants us to talk to him. In the vastness of all that exists, he actually cares about us personally, individually. How can we not pray to such a loving God wherever we are? How can we not thank him for what he's done or cry out when we need help, when we need forgiveness, when we're afraid, when we give thanks for our blessing or question where our next meal will come from? Why would we live a life apart from him? It's not about formula. How could any posture or well-chosen word impress the author of time and space? It's simple obedience. God has made himself available to us. He wants to hear from us. He wants us to trust in him, to acknowledge our dependence on him, to draw near to the one who loved us first. Approaching with confidence because Christ has torn away the veil. He's washed away the sin that kept us from his presence. And we live in relationship with our Lord. And so we ask that his kingdom come, his will be done on earth and in our lives as it is in heaven. That is prayer. When we stand in a place like this, full of temples and images of the gods and signs of people trying to get in touch with the gods and make them happy, the question naturally arises for us, what is prayer? What does the New Testament have to say about prayer? There are two extremes you can go to with prayer. For some people, the gods or a god are all around us, and perhaps within us and within the world, so that prayer is simply a matter of getting in touch with the divinity which is around and about us all the time, perhaps even inside us. For other people, and perhaps for most people in the modern Western world, there's a more Epicurean view that the gods, if they exist, are a long way away. And if you need to get in touch with them, you're going to have to shout awfully loud or develop some special techniques to get over this great void between us and them. For the ancient Jewish people, it was never like either of those things. Their God was both the creator of the world and the one who had entered into a covenant agreement with them to be their God and they would be his people. And again and again in the Old Testament, we can see Jewish figures like Abraham and Moses and David in the Psalms wrestling with God, shouting at God, telling him off, why don't you wake up? It's time for you to do something. 
there's a, there's a holy boldness which comes through. And the New Testament picks up on more or less exactly that. Because in the New Testament we find at several points things which in the Old Testament were prayers coming out in the New as a fresh invocation of this God, only now this God who has revealed himself in Jesus to be intimately involved with our life and indeed to be suffering our death and to be taking us through and on to a new life beyond death. And so the New Testament writers speak of praying constantly, of being always in touch with this true God by invoking Jesus as the one who has made that firm bridge, that ultimate link between the world of the divine and the world of the humans. And by the power of the Spirit, they insist that we are to be inhabitors of that world through prayer, both formal prayer, they pick up some of the ancient Jewish prayers like the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and they develop a Christian version of that, but also informal prayers. When Paul talks about what he prays for uh, the people who he's writing to, and he's praying day by day that they will be built up, that they'll come to a knowledge and love, and so on. And sometimes when Paul is writing quite extensive theological treatments of subjects, he frames them with prayer. 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10 is an example, with Jewish prayer to the one God who has revealed himself in Jesus, holding that whole section together. Or in Romans 9, 10, and 11, when he begins with a lament and ends with a praise and in the middle focuses on intercession, so that that whole exposition is framed just the way some of the longer psalms in the Old Testament are framed, with lament and praise, but ultimately in the middle saying to God, come on, it's time to do something. Please, will you now step in and make this or that happen? And ultimately in the Gospels what we see is Jesus going around doing good, healing people, celebrating, and ultimately going off to die for the sins of the world. And we find people coming to Jesus and addressing him, please help me about this, please why don't you do some, something about that, whatever it may be. And the early Christians in reading the Gospels took these stories as models of prayer. They're very vivid stories. We today can make them our own. So that whatever position we are in, whether it's joyful or sorrowful or puzzled or questioning, whatever it may be, the Gospels bring all this great biblical teaching on prayer into focus and says we too can come to Jesus and tell him exactly what's on our hearts and minds and ask him to hold on to it and enable us to get through it and if possible to do something about it. I am forever indebted to uh, Professor Wright. N.T. Wright is such... Um, there it is. Such an enlightening man. And, uh, and Professor, I could listen to him all day, if for nothing else than just the incredible accent. But he has written so much, and uh, I've heard him lecture and, and teach and preach on prayer and just approaching God with our needs and, and our desires and our challenges and our problems and the things that are just going on in our life. And, uh, and, and I want to begin this morning uh, a new series that I've entitled Ancient Prayers for a New Year. And as we move deeper and deeper into this new year, I really do believe that the ways that we pray can have an impact on how we walk forward into a new year, and not just walk forward, but how we actually position ourselves for God's blessing for God's favor, for our confidence to grow in who God is, 
and to be in right standing with God and, and our hope that can be bolstered in him for the future that God has in mind for us, that God has in mind for you. And I mean, we all need hope no matter what season of life we're in. Yes, hope is something that uh, is, is welcome in my life. I'm sure it is in, in your life. Um, hope is always, always welcome at our table. And, and here's something that I know, it was just reiterate, I was um, in Waco over the weekend teaching at uh, the church I grew up in, uh, serving in a, a Disciple Now weekend. I had a room full of graduating seniors, and, and, and I, I heard uh, just a, a desire for hope in so many different lives that I was hanging out with this weekend. Um, there is, there's a lot of people that are really, really struggling right now. The, the past couple of years have, have been tough. Uh, one reason that I know this uh, also, not just because I was hanging out with some students that were sharing some of those challenges with me this weekend, uh, but I've read several articles uh, in preparation for this series. Uh, some that I read were really talking through some different medical statistics particularly medical statistics dealing with the mental health that people are finding uh, some challenges with. One statistic um, talked about this rising trend in our society right now of suicide. And uh, America's suicide rates right now are actually tied with the 1930s Great Depression suicide rates, the worst in history. And um, I was reading, reading one um, take on that. Uh, a physician named Michael Sleeth notes that without the invention and intervention of modern medicine and modern trauma systems, he suggests that our suicide rates today actually would be 200 to 300 times what they actually are right now and what was experienced in the Great Depression era. Uh, that is staggering to think about. He, he then observes this. Perhaps it's time that society faces up to the reality that what we've been doing is not really working. And, and it's in part why I, I want to lead us into this new year with the focus on this series of ancient prayer for a new year. How, think about it with me. How might your life be different if you started to just make a little bit of progress in your prayer life as you move deeper and deeper into 20? 22. I mean, what, what might begin to work better in your life if you began to pray like some of the people prayed that we're going to look at, particularly in the Old Testament in the coming weeks? This morning we'll be in the New Testament looking at an ancient prayer as well, but in the coming weeks we'll be going way, way, way back in history. And what might your life begin to look like? How might it be different if you started utilizing some of those ancient prayers, how might your mental health, how might your emotional health, how might your physical health, your spiritual well-being, how might that begin to start shifting a bit in a good way 
If you and I became more and more intentional about cultivating prayer as a new rhythm of our life, developing a holy habit, so to speak, in 2022. As I was preparing for this series on prayer, um, I, I read some really interesting findings in uh, an article in Time magazine um, concerning more medical studies. I, I really kind of got into this train of seeing how prayer and medical studies were connected and just some fascinating things about how prayer um, through uh, study uh, has really impacted people's health on a lot of different levels. One article that I read stated that prayer has been shown to be powerful in at least one way. It triggers what they call the relaxation response, a state of mind-body rest that's been shown to do some things. It's been shown to decrease stress, lower your heart rate, lower your blood pressure, alleviate chronic disease symptoms, and even change gene expression. This is just scientific studies. And these are some of the findings. There have been numerous studies that have been related to the overall physical and mental benefits of prayer. One such study that I was reading found that what science can tell us is that when people pray and people who do pray, they tend just statistically statistically to be healthier people who tend to live longer than those who don't and those who engage in regular prayer is like a rhythm a holy habit that we mentioned who are engaging in regular prayer have been shown in numerous scientific studies for that alone to be a critical factor in how people's lives are lengthened. Really interesting. I'm sitting here going, okay, I'm, we're on the right track. Something good is happening here when we're praying. Study after study after study that I was reading shows that prayer, it positively affects the operating power of your brain, that it, that it actually increases the activity in the frontal lobe of your brain. Typically, the front part of your brain uh, according to what I've been reading, I'm not a, I'm not a you know, brain specialist here, but just I'm trusting these studies that I'm reading that are published. Typically, the front part of your brain apparently decreases with age. However, 50-year-olds, uh, I'm 49, so this is right in my wheelhouse, okay? 50-year-olds who pray regularly have a similar size frontal lobe and gray matter count as 25-year-olds. That's a good thing if you're scoring at home. So I'm like going, okay, I'm, I'm going to keep praying. I, I want to keep praying just for, for that stat alone, but certainly for others. Then it goes on to talk about other parts of your brain. I didn't, I didn't know a lot of this stuff any of this stuff before I was reading these, these articles here, but I'm getting encouraged as I'm reading along. I'm like, okay, man, this is good. We're on the right track here. The, the, the prayer rhythms in your life, it affects what's known as the insula of your brain. Insula is the area of the brain involved in integrating sensory and cognitive information. Additionally, insula is the number one region associated with fluid intelligence or your IQ. 
You go, okay, well, what does all that mean? It means prayer can make you smarter and, and think with more focus and decrease the aging effects of your brain. So I'm just sitting here thinking about that and these medical studies and these findings. And, and as I'm sitting there, I'm going, man, it, it doesn't make any sense in the world to keep prayer out of school. We, we, just based on these medical findings, we ought to be lobbying to get prayer back in school because it's going to make your test grades go up. I mean, you're going to get smarter if you're praying. So I, I don't know. They didn't ask me, but I'm just kind of, you know, logically thinking through this. And, and then I read some, some things by uh, Dr. Herbert Benson. Our, uh, Dr. Herbert Benson, he's a cardiovascular specialist at Harvard Medical School. And he indicates, again, that, man, prayer is really connected with this relaxation response. And his research just shows how people who pray, it, it affects in a good way the body's metabolism. It, it affects in a good way heart rate. It affects in a good way blood pressure and how it calms our breathing in a healthier way. The physiological state of prayer is correlated in study after study with slower brain waves, which is a good thing. Feeling like you're actually in control. A tranquil alertness. A peace of mind. Peace of mind is not what so many who are dealing with suicidal tendencies are experiencing, right? Yeah. Additionally, Dr. Andrew Newberg, he found that prayer increases levels of dopamine, which is associated with how a person feels about their state of well-being. It affects the joy in a person's life. And how they're experiencing that joy. So think about it with me. While the suicide statistics are soaring in our world. Like nothing we've seen since the Great Depression era. In instances where people experience things like betrayal. Or emotional distress. Prayer has been shown to be a huge overcomer in people's emotional scars and healing that comes along with that. Scientists have found incredible neurological changes within a person who prays regularly and how that correlates to helping people deal with their problems. If you've got problems, what all the science is saying is pray. Pray. If you want to move forward, if you, want to, if you want to start making some progress, if you want to begin to feel differently than you feel right now, if the way you feel is not in a good place, prayer matters. Prayer's an impact. One neuroscientist said this, whatever happened during prayer allowed my patient to actually have better cognitive control over their emotions. It's a strong statement. And what study after study reveals is that prayer is actually a surefire way to help overcome some of those painful memories from our past. Interesting. 
And over the past couple of years, man, just as families, as individuals, as a, as a church, as a community, as a nation, as a world, man, we, we could all use some help, yeah? Overcoming some painful memories that we've been walking through and some examples of how to move forward into a new year that could help lead us to blessing and success and a favorable future that God wants us to experience. And that, friends, is why I want to lead us in over the next several weeks at looking at some of these ancient prayers that can help us draw near to God, to come before God. And just saying that, I realize that for some, the prospect of coming before God in prayer, maybe that kind of raises a little anxiety too. And you're like going, oh, I, mm, I don't know how I feel about that because I'm not real sure how God's feeling about me today. Or maybe, maybe you've been coping with, with some of those feelings that we've been talking about in ways that you're going, man, I don't know. I don't really feel worthy or, 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 or I don't know what to do there once I get there. Or maybe you think, man, that God's really angry at you. Maybe you just feel like he doesn't want to hear from me. Maybe you think I'm kind of new to faith or, or I went to church when I was a little kid, but I've been long gone for a long time, and I'm just now kind of kind of dipping my toe back in, and I don't even I don't even remember how to pray or what to say. Maybe when you think about coming before God in prayer, what you'll see over the next four minutes in this little clip from a classic classic movie called The Wizard of Oz <laughs> is how you're like that is what I think about when I would come before God you'll see a little four minute clip here where Dorothy and her friends the tin man the scarecrow and the cowardly lion for the first time come before the great and powerful Oz and maybe what they experience is what you are kind of having in your mind when you think about coming before God in prayer sit back and watch this for four minutes Wait a minute, fellas. I was just thinking. I really don't want to see the wizard this much. I'd better wait for you outside. What's the matter? Oh, he's just as scared again. Don't you know the wizard's going to give you some courage? I'd be too scared to ask him for it. Well, then we'll ask him for you. I'd sooner wait outside. Why? Why? Because I'm still scared. What happened? Somebody pulled my tail. <laughs> you did it yourself. I... Oh. Come on. Come forward! Tell me when it's over. Look at that. Look at that! <laughs> I want to go home. I am home. 
the great and powerful. Who are you? Who are you? If you please, I am Dorothy, the small and meek. We've come to ask you. The great and powerful Oz knows why you have come. Step forward, Tin Man. You dare to come to me for a heart, do you? You clinking, clanking, clattering collection of collisionous junk. Uh, yes, yes, sir. Uh, yes, Your Honor. You see, a while back, we were walking down the yellow brick road, and... Quiet! And you, Scarecrow, have the effrontery to ask for a brain, you billowing bale of bovine fodder! Yes, Your Honor. I mean, Your Excellency. I mean, uh, your wizardry. Enough! Uh, and you, lion! <laughs> well? You ought to be ashamed of yourself, frightening him like that when he came to you for help! Silence, whippersnapper! The beneficent Oz has every intention of granting your requests. What's that? What do you say? Huh? What do you say? But first, you must prove yourselves worthy by performing a very small task. Bring me the broomstick of the Witch of the West. But, 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 but if we do that, we'll have to kill her to get it. Bring me her broomstick. And I'll grant your requests. Now go. But, uh, but what if she kills us first? I said go! <laughs> Man, that's how some people left church years ago. Because all they thought was that God's scary. He doesn't really want to hear from me. If I come into his presence, I'm going to bother him. I don't know what to say. He's going to spew fire if I bring my little request before him. One of the things that I taught this weekend to the group of seniors I was with we said, the way you view God has everything to do with how you will relate to God. I want to I help you have a more accurate picture of who God is for a few minutes and what he wants you to know about him as we consider taking some steps towards him. I love what Jesus said. Um, anything Jesus said, I love, but I particularly love 
what he said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. You don't, don't have to turn there. I want to read you what it says from the message version. Listen to what Jesus says and how different it is than what we just experienced in that little clip from the Wizard of Oz. Jesus says this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's from the heart of God to anybody who needs to hear hope and a way forward. And one of the ways that we keep company with Jesus, friends, is through living with a consistent attitude and mindset in our lives of prayer. Prayer, what is it? Prayer, it's engaging your life with Jesus in some quiet moments alone with Him. And, and, and in some moments where you just get gut level honest with Him and you share what's on your heart and mind and in some space where maybe He then could share some things back to you. Some things he wants to say to you. Prayer is, is both communicating with Jesus and com communing with Jesus. Hanging out in his presence. Just giving him an opportunity to touch your life. To give you hope. To connect with you. And while we may have some misconceptions about what it is to, to come near to Jesus in prayer... Maybe, maybe we do need to really get over that hurdle or hump that we saw in the Wizard of Oz because that really is how you think. Maybe that's, that's what you've been taught or what you think your experiences may be like if you did try to get close to God. Maybe you're thinking, man, if I get close to a God who knows me, he's going to make me feel small just like the Wizard of Oz. Inconvenient, bothersome to him. And Jesus is just going, come close, come close, come close. That's what we've been seeing as we've been walking through on Wednesday nights through the series of The Chosen. Don't you see a Jesus who's just winsome, who wants to be there, who wants you to walk with him and know him, and he wants to say some things to you and you to be able to freely say some things to him keep company with me. That's what we're seeing in The Chosen Wednesday after Wednesday. If you haven't joined us for that, come this Wednesday, 6.30, and we'll walk through an episode, and you'll see a Jesus portrayed that's going, get close to me, walk with me, keep company with me. Or as some translations say, come to me. Come to me.
There's this great passage in the New Testament that I want us to, to look at for just a moment where it talks about coming close to Jesus, coming near to Jesus, drawing near to him. Turn with me in your Bible, if you would, to the back of the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 4. I want us to just look at about three verses together this morning. I want to show you a very different scene in the Bible than what it looks like to come to God that is totally different than what we saw in the Wizard of Oz there. When we read Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, you're not going to see anybody running down the hall and jumping out the window. What we see in this passage is an invitation for you and for me. And hopefully will invite us to connect with God as we step forward deeper and deeper into 2022. Look what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Watch this. Let us, you and me, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of what? Grace. Not judgment, not condemnation, not ridicule. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. For what? That we may receive, say it with me, mercy. And find what? Grace. Why? To help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I, I don't know what kind of New Year's resolutions you may or may not have made a few weeks ago, but my guess is that 16 days into 2022, everybody would welcome grace and mercy to help us in our time of need, right? Man, I would. I do. I want that in my life to help me in my times of need. And if we can be assured that if we draw near to God, if we draw near to that throne of Jesus, that he's not going to blow up on us when we get there. He's not going to start spewing fire when we get there. He's not going to start condemning us where we've messed up like we saw in the Wizard of Oz. But instead, he's inviting us to come near to him, to his throne of grace, where we might begin to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Friends, the line forms to the left, right behind me. In this passage, and we don't have a depiction of some old angry guy sitting on his throne. No. Not some... Some guy that can't relate to us. No, no. The scripture says we have this great high priest named Jesus who has been through it all, who has experienced great suffering, who has experienced great temptation, great trials, 
and yet he never caved in or was consumed or overcome by them. He navigated through them. He is available today to you and to me and to all who want to draw near to his throne of grace where he sits ready to connect with you. You go, well, that, I'm open, keep talking. Not too long because I've got other things to do, but. So what do we do when we get there? What do you do when you get there before him, in, in, in your mind's eye, with your heart open, trying to draw near to him? Pastor, what do you do? Here's what I do. I tell him I love him. I don't have a cool British accent like Dr. Wright. I just say, Jesus, I love you. <laughs> I tell him that I need him. Jesus, I need you. I need you today. And I just tell him whatever's bothering me, whatever's on my mind, whatever's concerning to me, whatever I'm dealing with. As if he needs me to tell him... <laughs> He already knows, but there's something relationally that I need to connect with him, and he wants to connect with me. And so when I'm talking this through, sometimes I, I tell him where I've messed up. I try to own up to those mess-ups, and then I try to just lay those back down before him. Ask him to help me where I know I need help today. Ask him to forgive me where I know I need forgiveness today. To encourage me, to strengthen me, to remind me of who I am. Sometimes when I'm talking with him, he talks to me through what he's already said in his word. Oftentimes where I will find myself trying to listen to what God's saying to me is in the Psalms, like in Psalm 46.10, where it says, be still and know that I am God. Be still. And so I'll just do that for a few moments. I'll just be still before him. And it will be an odd sensation sometimes because... That may be as quiet as it's going to be all day. But I know in that moment, I'm doing what God has invited me to do. And when you're, when you're doing what you know God has invited you to do, there's something that's good. When you don't know what to do, do what God tells you to do. And be still and remember, He's God. Sometimes I'll pray an ancient prayer. It's not as ancient as some of the prayers we're going to look at in the coming weeks from the Old Testament. This prayer is actually traced back to the 5th century. It's known as the Jesus Prayer. It's a pretty simple prayer, actually. But it's an ancient prayer that followers of Jesus have prayed throughout the centuries. And it just goes like this. Two phrases... Lord Jesus Christ, 
have mercy on me. Some, some variations have a little bit different. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Would you pray that with me? Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. It's kind of a rhythm. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Now, what many followers of Jesus have, have also incorporated, and I do this, and this is where all those studies start connecting because I feel it. I've experienced it. Allow those two phrases actually to be a governor in your breathing. So when you pray, Lord Jesus Christ, take a breath in. Lord Jesus Christ. Have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ. Have mercy on me. If you pray that with no distractions, you turn everything down, your notifications off, your phone's away, and you just begin to pray that in and out, in and out, where you have been out of step and out of rhythm with God, all of the sudden some things begin to change and you start focusing back in on Him. You're being still. You are knowing that He is God. You are creating space to connect and come near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help you in time of need. I'm not saying it's like a magic potion or formula or something. I'm just saying when I do this and I follow in the footsteps of followers of Jesus since the 5th century, something different happens in my heart. And something may happen in yours as well. I invite you to pray. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Sometimes I'll journal. I'll have a, my mind, I'll, you're probably better than me, and you, when you start praying, you stay focused until you say amen. I start praying, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And before I know it, I'm going, will the Cowboys stop the 49ers offense today or not? And then I'm back in. But if I'm writing down my prayers... I have a greater tendency to stay focused and to stay authentic and stay on track. If your mind wanders, I invite you, get a pen, get a paper, write those out. Keep a record of them. Go back to them. See if what you're praying about actually gets affected by God's intervention over time. However you do it, whatever you want to do, would you take a step today and take a step this week and take a step this month and take a step this year by drawing near to Him, engaging your heart, engaging your mind with Him. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Feel free to distribute this recording, but please do not sell or alter it in any way. For more information about Arapahoe Road Baptist Church, please visit our website at arapahoroad.org. Arapahoe Road Baptist Church is located at 2256 Arapahoe Road in Garland, Texas. 
with Sunday morning worship service at 10.45am. We hope you'll join us this week.